AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And as usual on Tuesdays, we are joined by the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. That's Patrick Kulikan. Make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com, by the way, for the latest in Minnesota news and politics. As we are going to be talking through uh, what they've been working on over the past week or so over at the Minnesota Reformer. As today we'll be talking about Patrick's column on the DOJ report on the Minneapolis Police Department and some of their misconduct. And we'll also be talking about a right-wing activist who will be making an appearance in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. We'll tell you more about him in just a few minutes. But Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's start off talking about your column that uh, has to do with this DOJ report on the Minneapolis Police Department. The title of it, by the way, is A Close Reading of the DOJ's Breathtaking Report on the Unlawful Behavior of the Minneapolis Police Department. And as I think lots of folks know from this report, uh, there's lots of, well, not-so-good stuff in here, including, well, basically uh, just some highlights. Uh, The report showed that roughly three-quarters of the time when the MPD used force, it really wasn't necessary. They also... uh, Uh, So as you pointed out, when you searched unlawful in that report, it turned up 45 times, mostly being done by the police. So uh, certainly there's uh, lots of things in here that are very, very disturbing. But I'm curious, what aspects of this DOJ report really stood out to you the most and why? I think there's there's obviously the the racist uh, policing aspect of it. Um, That was the the DOJ's uh, kind of uh, mission here was to figure out if there's a pattern of practice of racist policing. And they found that uh, MPD polices different areas of the city differently um, based on the racial composition. Uh, They are far more likely to stop black and uh, indigenous uh, Minnesotans, um, far more likely to search them, far more likely to use force on them. Um, They... uh, show a, a kind of cavalier attitude toward the use of force. As you mentioned, I, I think in three quarters of the cases, uh, they use force on somebody who doesn't, uh, didn't have a weapon and it wasn't a violent crime. Um, I mean, one, one example, 22% of the time they use uh, a neck restraint, which I, I called it a polite word for a, a chokehold. They didn't make any arrests. Um, so what does that tell you about the threat that the person posed? That they put a neck restraint on, um, they they are uh, cavalier in their in their use of force uh, with youth. Um, you're if you're uh, black, you're uh, black youth. You're more likely uh, to be uh, to, to use force on on uh, that population than uh, white adults. Um, they have a special uh, uh, lack of care for people who are undergoing uh, mental illness um, episodes. Um, and there's lots of uh, data and, uh, and anecdotes about that. Um, the, the, the department's disciplinary system um, is completely broken. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they do not investigate serious cases. Um, they, uh, they do not examine uh, body uh, camera footage. Um, uh, the, the process is, of course, takes years often and uh, has this uh, kind of Byzantine uh, circuitous route that allows lots of uh, veto points uh, where, where officers have committed misconduct and um, be kind of let off. Uh, there's the, the whole uh, issue of coaching where um, instead of being disciplined, officers are sent into coaching, um, which is supposed to be for minor violations, but uh, they found uh, instances of uh, significant and serious um, misconduct 
or people where the the officers were were sent to coaching instead of disciplined. And when that happens, there's no public record of it, so we don't know about it. Um, I mean, it's just breathtaking, and uh, when you when you read the whole thing, um, and, and that's something I decided to do because I was seeing a lot of kind of debate um, on uh, Twitter about it, and it just occurred to me that a lot of the people who are making comments um, hadn't actually read the report, and I hadn't either. And I thought, you know what, as a as a citizen of of Minnesota, I feel like um, I ought to uh, just sit down and read the whole thing. And it took me a couple nights, um, and it's uh, it's engrossing reading, um, and uh, and it's terrible. Um, but uh, the uh, the voters of Minneapolis um, really ought to uh, do their civic duty, I feel like, and and do their best to to understand uh, within that report and then uh, act on it. Yeah, I'm guilty of that myself, or I still need to go through and read that entire report, because as you say, it's very, very important to do. And well, lo and behold, I think that's actually a responsible thing to do to actually, well, read that report before you before you start commenting on it, uh, as you were talking about when you see so much of that social media discussion. And it oftentimes is from people who've only read snippets or maybe even none of that whole DOJ report. But as we've established, there's been lots of problems with the MPD over the years, obviously. But I think your column also highlights another part that uh, of the government that also needs to be held accountable for what's been happening, because you mentioned the responsibility of the civil authority, including people like mayors and members of the city council and businesses and other political elites when it comes to addressing the issues within the Minneapolis Police Department. So let's talk about how they have or largely have not responded to some of this police misconduct over the years, because even though we have this fresh new DOJ report, as a lot of people who have lived in Minneapolis and in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area for years, uh, this is nothing new. So let's talk about that aspect and why some of the leaders do sometimes need to be held accountable, even though obviously this is the MPD with these issues. We still have to hold our leaders accountable who have kind of allowed this to happen over the years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the analogy here is, is civilian uh, command of the, of the United States military. And um, when we see uh, mistakes made um, by uh, the military, uh, our soldiers and officers, uh, enlisted men, are they responsible? Well, everybody's responsible for their own behavior, sure. Um, but ultimately, we have to hold the civilian authorities uh, responsible. And I think the same is true with the, with the MPD. Um, the officers uh, are responsible for their behavior and the command staff uh, for those under them. But the, the MPD uh, is under the sole authority of the mayor. And um, for too long, um, the, the MPD is, has been allowed to kind of just run roughshod um, over people's rights. And um, you know, because that MPD endorsement uh, for so long was, was so important, um, I think there was uh, a desire to look the other way and sweep issues under the rug. Um, and as long as uh, certain uh, prosperous neighborhoods um, that are that are uh, seen as the most important in electing um, mayors, um, as as long as they were safe, um, then you know who really uh, then then it was less concern about these constitutional violations that were taking place. In, in other neighborhoods. Um, but, um, you know, as, as Martin Luther King said, um, uh, you know, if, if we're not all free, um, if, if, uh, if one person is being oppressed and we're, then none of us are, are free. Um, and in, in, in this case, it's, it's even more literally true because, um, 
you know, it's certainly true that black and indigenous uh, Minnesotans uh, are uh, face uh, more significant violations of their rights, but by no means is it only them. Um, you know, there's uh, lots of examples in the report of uh, of white people who, whose uh, rights are being violated, and certainly the, the press and demonstrators uh, who face retribution for uh, even speaking rudely to police um, will we'll set you up for the for the opportunity to be uh, to face police force um, and retribution. Um, and so um, I think that the people of Minneapolis um, need to focus on who's ultimately responsible uh, for for these uh, constitutional violations and, and the unlawful behavior of MPD. And certainly it's uh, the officers, but it's, it's the political uh, power structure that includes the mayor and the type of uh, business and political elites that, that generally help mayors get elected previously was the the uh the police union i think the police union has uh, uh obviously far less influence than they ever have um but but keep the focus where it belongs um and, and i'll say also that with respect to the the, the current mayor um you know the the violations that the that the doj investigators found continued after the 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 murder of George Floyd. And, and so even though there was that, that earthquake event, um, the behavior continued and this mayor is responsible. He was elected in 2017. He owns, uh, he owns that department and, uh, he, he ought to be held accountable, um, for their failures. Well, and speaking of uh, people being held accountable for this, that's certainly at the local level in Minneapolis, which is very, very important. But at the end of your column, you also talk about the need for intervention from Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I'm curious what role you think federal authorities could have in trying to clean up some of the misconduct, because uh, I I think you talked about in your article the example of the Department of Justice, which was created in the 1870s, was largely responsible for, at least in that era, kind of wiping out the Ku Klux Klan. So uh, obviously the DOJ could certainly play a role in this as well, along with Attorney General Merrick Garland in trying to clean up the MPD. Yeah, and I would uh, hope that the the city uh, would put its fate into the DOJ's hands and say, you know, tell us what we need to do. Uh, I think it's, a, it's going to be a close monitoring of the department uh, so that they are uh, properly auditing um, the uh, MPD for the, the kind of stops they make, the searches they make, the use of force. Um, are they auditing the body camera footage? Um, are they respecting people's constitutional rights? How are they treating people uh, who are mentally ill? Um, I think we, we need some, um, some federal um, uh, supervision, um, as well as state supervision. Um, because Minneapolis has, has shown it is simply unable to properly supervise this department. We can read that column over at minnesotareformer.com. Again, Patrick's column titled, A Close Reading of the DOJ's Breathtaking Report on the Unlawful Behavior of the MPD. I briefly want to touch on one more article that you guys are working on, and this has to do with a right-wing activist who is going to be appearing in Sock Rapids coming up. Because over the past few years, you've probably heard us and others here on AM950 talk about some of these far right-wing celebrities who hold events throughout Minnesota, usually talking about conspiracy theories 
countries with voter fraud, elections, COVID conspiracy, CRT, you name it. Well, there's another guy coming to Minnesota that you may not have heard of, but this is a guy who is rising a little bit in terms of right-wing personalities on social media. His name is Scott Pressler. He's six foot five, has Fabio-like hair, and he was recently invited to the Benton County Republican Party to speak at Raleigh's Rednecks and Longnecks in Sock Rapids, Minnesota. So, Patrick, tell us a little bit about this guy and this event and why it kind of caught your attention over at the Minnesota Reformer. Yeah, interesting guy. Um, our reporter, Dina Winter, has, has, uh, has named him the Republican Fabio. You have to see the photo to get it, I guess. But uh, he's, uh, he has an interesting kind of gimmick where he goes into inner city areas and he hires the unsheltered to help clean up the city quite literally, but um, he's also responsible for a lot of election uh, misinformation and helped organize these Stop the Steal rallies and was at the January 6th uh, event. He was uh, apparently not in the building and not in the Capitol, um, so we can't really call him an insurrectionist. But as far as I'm concerned, um, if you're saying that the election was stolen, uh, you are um, you're spreading disinformation and... Um, you're, you're causing problems for the for the American Republic, and uh, and so he's just another kind of celebrity or quasi celebrity uh, Republican. Um, there's now like a cottage industry of them, and and coming up to speak at the county party and the, the state party mentioned his appearance, um, and and then you know there's the whole thing of this this bar because apparently they have a a, a collection of Confederate memorabilia, um, which is particularly galling in Minnesota, where uh, we were the first state to send volunteers uh, for the Civil War, and um, and the Minnesota First played a, a hugely important role at Gettysburg. Um, and so anybody who collects uh, Confederate memorabilia in the state of Minnesota is, um, they're historically ignorant uh, and or they uh, obviously are showing their, um, showing uh, their, uh, uh, within their heart, I'm afraid. Um, and so uh, I have no idea uh, why uh, a, re- a county Republican Party is trying to actually win votes amongst mainstream Minnesotans would want to do an event like this at a bar like that. And we don't have time to go into the details of this, but the owner of this bar even has quite the interesting history as he was convicted back in 2011 of striking a black man with his Ford Bronco in St. Cloud after he swerved at and exchanged insults, including, well, racial insults, with a group of black men walking along a road. question I have for you on this is that the state Republican Party in Minnesota does not seem to be distancing itself from the event, because I would even think like 10 or 15 years ago, either party, either the Republicans or the Democrats, would be doing everything within their power to try to distance themselves from a guy like this who might be speaking at one of their county parties, local chapters. Right. I mean, you know, Republicans, um, even though they're close in both the House and Senate, um, you know, their their power center is in um places in rural Minnesota uh, where it's just an article of faith that President, uh, former President Trump won the 2020 election and that COVID is overblown and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so you have this problem for them where um, the base of the party is far too extreme uh, for Minnesota. Um, but of course, um, they have uh, huge influence in, in how the party operates. And um, until they can uh, figure that out. 
um, they're going to have trouble with statewide elections. Well, you can read more about that at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com, as we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure, Brett. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.